It's time for JT the Brick. Just win, baby. The countdown to Canton is on. Got a Super Bowl ring as a player and he, as a coach. And I mean, just what the impact he had on the game. Uh, I agree with you. He should have a bust in Canton. Tom Flores. We know what has to be done and we know how to do it. Charles Woodson. Intercepted by a flying Charles Woodson again. As these Raiders are inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we honor them on Raider Nation Radio. Silver and black means a lifetime. A lifetime of uh, excitement and joy. Overall, it was a great journey. The countdown to Canton is on. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, brought to you by our good friends at Sam and Ash. Go to SamandAshLaw.com because you deserve what's right. I tweeted out Sam and Ash with our show today at JT the Brick. And you can see their beautiful artwork that they put up with our show. We really appreciate that. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right 24-7. At, uh, you know, they'll, they'll pick up your phone, and, and they'll get in touch with you. If you're in a wreck, you're in an accident, get safe, get to the side of the road. And then, you know, next day, next hour, make sure you have a personal injury attorney quickly. 702-820-1234. All right, so for this weekend, this is a big weekend in Vegas. We get the mask mandate coming in on Friday. Is that big? Yeah, it's big. We got conventions on deck. We got casinos that don't want to go backwards. We got a football stadium that's going to be vibrant and sold out. Every ticket sold. All these concert tickets are sold out. Sold out. I'm going to the Gold Cup. Hopefully, if the United States takes care of business, it's United States-Mexico. Looking forward to taking my sons there on Sunday for that. Build it, and they will come because of Mark Davis, Mark Bedane, the vision of everybody in town. They built a football stadium. Now we have global soccer events in Vegas, okay? Not out at Sam Boyd, a couple hundred people, sold out the Gold Cup. It's going to be incredible. So if you're going to that, have fun out there on Sunday. I hope to see you out there. So we played some John Gruden sound, and we'll play some Derek Carr sound from yesterday. And the big thing that Derek talked about is the same offense. This is important. Derek is at a point in his contract where he's done everything. He's put up big numbers. He's the face of the franchise. He's been very, very good. But now he's got to take his game to one more level that hopefully we'll see, and that's going to help him because he's been in this system with Gruden for four years. Last year we brought Nelly and we drafted Henry. Uh, Zay can fly. You know, we got guys that can go Waller, obviously. We know that. Um, and then the O-line. And there's a certain time to – you know, I know based on our relationship now, it's, we're going on four years, so I know when he calls a certain play and when he calls the certain play what, he, what he's expecting, where he expects that ball to go versus certain coverages. Um, so early on it was hard, but now it's, e- it's I can't say it's easy. There's nothing in this game that's easy, but it's, it's easier because I know it's expected. He knows what expects, and basically Derek's telling you that he's got it all. He's figured it all out. Him and Gruden are on the same page. They got the players. They got the weapons. Now just give him a little bit of time so he can execute this offense. Because everybody doesn't know if he's going to get the time that he got with Rodney Hudson, Trent Brown, and Gabe Jackson. I don't know the answer to that. I'm hoping that these guys fill their role in and come in and do a pretty good job because Richie Incognito and Colt Miller are going to be really good. So there's a good offensive line there. We just haven't seen them play together. And I'm not going down that road anymore promising you that they're going to play every game together. That ship has sailed for me. Every year, this team plays like two games together, and then someone gets hurt. This year, I expect the younger players 
the new players coming in, Gooden Simpson, one of those guys better at better be ready to go at right guard, and then the other guy is going to be just as good, so it's going to be a tough choice. Leatherwood at right tackle, who I watched today, is going to be hopefully very good as a rookie. Colt Miller, Richie Incognito, and Andre James. Carr also talked about himself, how he has to limit the turnovers here when he's in the pocket. You know, one thing I did is holding the ball too long and fumbling, right? And watching and studying why, why, why was it on those plays, or why was it was I drifting in my drop? Was was it this or that? So uh, it, it was good to to have that film because now I think we'll be better at hopefully limiting turnovers on those plays. Yeah, and and Derek, that's interesting that he's talking about the film on that. The film of Derek getting the ball stripped from him or the ball coming out, I don't know how much he's going to look at the film. How is that going to help? You're only going to know when the pocket collapses and he's getting tackled if he holds on to it or not. But I hope the ball just comes out early like it does. See, Derek can go to the line and change every play. Every single play he has the authority to see something that he doesn't like and change it. He can change it to Ruggs, Waller, Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, Foster Moreau. Zay Jones. There's a lot of guys you can change the play to if you see a mismatch. And when you see that mismatch, hopefully the ball comes out clean. Guys are open because he sees something the fourth year in the system. Really excited for what Derek has lined up this year. It's going to be a fun year for him. Now, when you talk about Andre James, he met the media yesterday and he paid tribute. He said some nice things about Rodney Hudson. And he backed him up, and he learned a lot from one of the best centers in the league. Rodney was, you know, arguably, like you said, one of the best centers in the league. So every day I came in here, I just tried to get, you know, a little piece from him, a little information every day. And uh, that's just kind of the attack I still take on the day, just every day, just get a little better, just make, you know, just work on the little things, and it adds up over time, get a little better. So everything I learned for him, I'm still using today. That's great. Really talking nicely about Rodney Hudson. Why wouldn't you? He wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for Rodney Hudson. He learned a lot from Rodney in that offensive line room, and that's why he's prepared to get going. Uh, James also mentioned Colt Miller, who's had a big impact on his career as he becomes a starter. Colt's one of my best friends, man. You know, uh, coming to the league, I he was definitely a big mentor to me. You know, him, Richie, just hanging out with those guys, just showing me the ropes because it's, it's a little different from college, you know. But uh, me and him, we're both real close at UCLA, so to both end up here in the same the same play is awesome, man. I can't, can't even explain it. Yeah, he's really excited about that. And everybody's pulling for him. Now, I remember when Rodney, the day I was on the air, which was a wild day, Bobby, as you remember, we started the show and the Rodney Hudson news broke. And I was shocked. I was like, wait a second. We got to confirm this. And we find out about it. And then we start taking calls on Rodney Hudson. Man, fans didn't even know this kid, Andre James' name. They didn't even know his name. And now the fans are coming around. They're not putting undue pressure on James to play. They, they know how important his position is. They know how important it is for him to be ready to go. So you don't hear a lot of fans doubting him and questioning him. They're just hoping that he's up for the challenge, he stays healthy, and he can fill the void. I think he can. The Raiders do. Mike Mayock does. Mayock talks about him all the time. Max Crosby. And we're going to have Max on. I've been texting with him. He's really good to me. Max is fantastic. We'll talk to him throughout the course of the year. Max is now at a new level where he's had some individual success and some acclaim. All he cares now about is winning games. You know, I'm going into year three. Um, for me personally, I'm sick of waiting. Uh, I just want to be the full version of Max Crosby that I envision um, myself being. So just being a leader, um, I think that's a role that 
um, I feel natural at. Um, I feel, you know, I can be a, a positive influence, you know, just like talking about Coach Bradley, being a, being a positive leader, um, being a, a, a ball of energy at all times. Uh, that's, that's what I want to be, and I want to help, you know, lead the guys. So I don't care about having, you know, the title, all right, Max is leader, whatever. Like, I'm just being myself and uh, having fun when I'm out there. Man, everything he says is great. He's fantastic. He really is mature beyond his years, and he wants to win. And the potential, Max has now the potential. We know his potential. Now he's going to develop even into a better player. Well, you know, I'm fired up, you know, about the room. We have we have a lot of potential, but I'm sick of saying that word. You know, I've, I hear it every single year. Um, I'm ready to just go out there on Sundays and, and play at a very high level. Then it was Henry Ruggs' turn yesterday, and I didn't get a chance to hear the sound until Bobby gave it to me today to preview, and I really like it here. Henry Ruggs III had to explain what happened last year and how he plans on having a much better season. Uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible difference. I mean, it's just it, the biggest thing is confidence. I mean, and going in going in with, with this new group of guys, I mean, we just – just developing, developing the chemistry, you know, throughout, you know, throughout OTAs and minicamp. It's just, I mean, it's it's a lot better, and the camaraderie is just there, like unlike last year. Yeah, he seems to be in a really good place, hitting home runs at the charity softball game, bowling three hundred, putting on more weight. This was the big soundbite. Everybody noticed it in the media room. How his body changed? It was definitely, it was, it was my my main focus. I mean, it's a it's a man's game now, and you know, I'm. I'm not the biggest guy, but I have to, I have to, you know, get to where I can compete with with grown men now. So, so that was one of my biggest, you know, biggest things that I hammered on was, you know, getting bigger, eating all the time, and just hammering down in the weight room. And the guy eats all the time. I told you yesterday. My sons follow him on Instagram. He's always got a plate of food in front of him. He's always eating, and he put on some muscle, and he's getting in better shape. That's good to see. And then finally, Nicholas Morrow wanted to get to this because he seems to be the player that's popping at training camp, the player that everybody seems to be talking about, leadership, could be the defensive captain, and why he chose to be a Raider, and he's happy to be here. Coming back to, to the Raiders, resigning with him, um, the big thing was just having a, having a relationship with the guys in the room, having a relationship with the team, um, growing that bond through ups and downs. And I think that's more important that I feel like a lot of us should consider as players is going somewhere where we can grow together, right? It's always cool to be a part of something that's already been established, but when you have the chance to grow it and you're in the muck with it and you're, you know what I'm saying, you're fighting for it, it means a lot to you. I wonder if he's going to be a hybrid type of player. Does he have the ability to play inside? If you're a linebacker and you can tackle and run and tackle in space, you could play any of the linebacker positions. Sam or Mike, you could do whatever you have to do. And Morrow knows that. Whatever the coaching staff and Gus Bradley want for him, he'll accommodate. I consider myself a versatile player, so... Whatever role the team needs me to play, that's what I want to play. Um, I've obviously played outside. Um, and then in this system with Coach uh, Norton, we had a different alignments. We had man alignments. So essentially, the wheel could be playing Mike and the Mike could be playing Will. So we kinda, I've kind of done um, all of it, really. And so I'm just whatever the, whatever the defense needs me to do, that's what I'm willing to do. And whatever role I have, uh, I accept it. All right, so today and tomorrow, the baseball trade deadline is a big deal. Joey Gallo from Bishop Gorman High School is now a Yankee. You know, I'm a big Yankee fan, and I watched Joey Gallo play at Bishop Gorman. And I didn't see him play a lot, but I saw him take batting practice one day, and I watched one of his high school games because one of my friend's sons and my sons went to Bishop Gorman. And incredible that he's going to be a Yankee. Strikes out a lot, and he's going to strike out even more. Also, Bryant, Chris Bryant, who is from here, Vegas, 
He's not in the Cubs lineup along with Anthony Rizzo because there's trade buds going on with those two guys. That'll be a big story for Chris Bryant, already an MVP and a World Series champ. Where could he move on to? Huge story coming up. And tonight is the NBA draft. You know, and I like the NBA draft over the years. I go back to Patrick Ewing in the frozen envelope. Tonight, the first pick in the draft will be Cade Cunningham, and he played at Oklahoma State. We'll see how good he is. The problem with the NBA draft is no one cares about young players anymore. They just care about trading for veterans. But you can't have a league unless you have great young players coming in every year and a couple of them becoming a star. Zion Williamson, John Morant, Cunningham, whoever it's going to be. So the Warriors, who have the 7th and the 14th pick, are going to be very important because they are going to use those picks either to get Steph and Clay and Draymond, another player, in a trade, or they're going to use that and develop young players, which I don't think they want to do now. The Warriors don't want to do that. The Warriors want to win. So whatever the Warriors do are going to signal what's going to happen at the back end of Steph Curry's career. That will happen again. You know, Simone Biles, this would have been a bad week for me to take vacation because a couple of people in sports radio, I'm doing three shows this week. I filled in for another one. I'm doing five of my night shows and four of these shows. So it's a busy week for me. And if you asked me a month ago, this week was going to suck. It's kind of like when people take vacation and there's nothing happening. This week, just the opposite. Aaron Rodgers comes back, Simone Biles, and then the news that happened with the Big 12 and what's happening with the SEC. In a moment, Brett McMurphy's going to join us. Can't wait to talk to him. But I have to mention Simone Biles before we wrap up the week. What happened to her is so rare that I think it's going to be studied in mental health journals for years to come. People are going to debate this and talk about this at Harvard and Stanford. We've never seen an athlete, young, this young at 24 years old, in the prime of their career, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, literally walk away from competition at the biggest event in the world. We've seen plenty of athletes quit or not participate leading up to an event, right? The Olympics are a month away. I'm retiring. Uh, You're supposed to come back for this year in the NFL. You try to work out. I'm going to retire early. I can't go more time. This has never happened before. Never. And we've all had to take it in and figure it out. I look at it differently. She's a 24-year-old girl. I am not going to sit here and criticize a 24-year-old girl who's admitting that mentally something's wrong. How dare anybody do that? Also, the sexual abuse from Larry Nassin and what happened at Michigan State as he was the trainer for this team and all the girls that were violated. She was a part of this. I had a caller I hung up on last night because he called me saying he's sick of hearing about that. I said, excuse me? If a woman was violated as a teenager in her 20s, she might have a problem with the mentally when she's 70 years old. We don't know. that. We're not in that position. So this gal stepped away from competitive gymnastics during the Olympics. I don't know what's going to happen with her endorsement deals. I don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now with her. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad because not many athletes could pull this off and recover from it. So I think everybody is very sympathetic for her. They know she's going through something very difficult. It's really tough to watch in real time in Tokyo to see her sitting in the stands knowing what she must be going through. Something is a bit off, and it's like a race car driver. You can't get behind the wheel if something's a little bit off, going 200 miles an hour. And in her sport, she's vaulting herself. You cannot do it. 
but a lot of people can't come to grips with it. I mean, people on social media have pretty much been nice. And then the other big thing why I was happy that I was here this week was Marc-Andre Fleury was traded from the Vegas Golden Knights. And I talked to Kevin Bollinger and a couple of guys out of camp and Robbie, who's the cameraman for Fox 5, and we were just in shock that all this week as we're covering the Raiders, Marc-Andre Fleury's gone. Flower. This guy's the face of the franchise, and in a quiet week in July, he gets traded away, and every fan here is walking around in shock because they care so much about what he did in this community. That all happened this week. Aaron Rodgers, Simone Biles, and this guy. A takeaway at the line. Here is Shen down the middle. Save Flurry with the glove. Stop Shen on the breakaway. What a glove stop from Marc-Andre Flurry. Shen was in all alone. The lefty tried to go top right corner, and Flurry picked it off near his left knee. Dan Duva, that is a bleeping gut punch. Anybody who went to the beer house to get a cocktail before they went into T-Mobile and know, knew that Flurry was starting in net that night, all the Flurry jerseys going into that game, Mark Chinook getting the crowd going before the game, Flurry coming out first, and you couldn't hear yourself think, he's gone. That's sports. That is sports. And that's why, you know, you stay tight to your team, you love the players, but you got to know the business side of it. And we saw that business side of the Vegas Golden Knights like we haven't seen it before. They did sign a couple of good players, re-signed some players. That's pretty good. We got them. Brett McMurphy joins us from Stadium, one of the great insiders in all of college football, one of the lead voices in what's happened with the SEC and the Big 12, and he's kind enough to join us on Raider Nation Radio. And, Brett, let's begin your initial reporting. Was this something you were chasing for the last year or two, or were you sensing this was going to happen? You know, JT, there had been some discussions that perhaps Oklahoma and Texas um, had a wandering eye, but the fact that their grant of rights, their media rights, was not up for another four years, I don't think people really expected it to happen this far out. Um, But then certainly when it came out, um, you know, I've since found out that Oklahoma and Texas officials approached the SEC back in December and they were in lockstep, and at that point they had decided they were leaving the conference. It's just where, where they wanted to go. The SEC was their top choice. Um, they wanted to see if the SEC had any interest. Of course, the SEC did, so now we're to the point where Texas and Oklahoma will officially be added as SEC members, and then the lawyers get involved and see if they can leave before 2025. Um, but w- one thing real quickly is that you know if Texas and OU – which are rivals, but they're obviously conference partners. If they approach the SEC in December, that means from from just my own knowledge of how this works and from talking to other people throughout college athletics, the two schools had to be talking about leaving the league as long as maybe a year and a half ago. This isn't something you decide at the last minute. This isn't something you make a quick decision. This is a 50-year a decision here. So that's why you're seeing uh, – Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby upset with what's going on. They <laughs> conference filed a cease and desist letter uh, against ESPN claiming the network is shopping other remaining Big 12 teams to other conferences so the league will implode. And if that happens, ESPN's off the hook for paying the uh, $1 billion TV deal for the remaining four years with the Big 12. Brett, are you more impressed by the pulling power of the SEC 
or the staying power or lack thereof of the Big 12. You know, the Big 12, I thought, would be able to, you know, put up a little bit more of a fight and say, we can get the money that you're lacking. We can get what you need. Let us go back and find a way to raise more money or to do a better deal. Does Texas and OU realize that the Big 12 just doesn't have that power to ever do that compared to the SEC? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it, you know, I know everyone's mate wants a bad guy in this this scenario. And look, I'm an Oklahoma State grad. I hate that mm-hmm. this is happening to my alma mater in the conference, but I don't blame Texas and Oklahoma. And I give Greg Sankey a lot of credit, the SEC commissioner. I mean, I thought probably five, ten years ago that somewhere down the road we would see 16-team super conferences. And certainly he thought so, too. Because if we know that we're all going to end up with four 16-team super conferences, do you want to be the first to 16 where you get the top two choices mm-hmm. or do you want to be the last to 16 and then your options aren't so great? So I think they're very smart. I don't think there's anything the big 12 could have done. You know, they've got a lot of, you know, teams, schools in the, in the Midwest and the Southwest that, you know, quite frankly, don't aren't big media markets and the SEC is the biggest, most powerful brand out there. And um, now you're set, you know, for the next 30, 40, 50 years, you're financially set. You know, by the way, you're probably going to make upwards of $20 million or more per year uh, being aligned with the SEC than you would have been in the Big 12. Brett McMurphy joins us from Stadium. You know, I still, from all the players and alumni and the guests I've had on the last couple of weeks, the one thing I still can't wrap my head around is the bottom four teams in the SEC going forward if i'm old miss vanderbilt whoever it's going to be tennessee for now missouri this doesn't help them win games it helps them make money and make money and go back to the alumni and the school president and the chancellor saying we've made hundreds of millions of dollars more maybe billions over the decades but we're not going to win four or five more games ever in football already proving that let alone adding ou and texas so how do they go back and and send that message to their alumni when their alumni knows there's more money Brett, coming to the school but they're not getting over the five or six win mark for the next 20 years I mean, that's a great question, JT. And, and, you know, kind of related to that is when we go to the 12 team playoff, um, you know, obviously teams like Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, those guys are going to make the playoff, you know, not nine out of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, the, the smaller group of five conferences will be guaranteed at least one team per year in that field. Maybe they get two in. So I think exactly what you just you pointed out is, is, is an excellent example. You're going to have these schools in the lower half, of not only the SEC, but the other power conferences, they've got no shot at getting at the playoff because if you're UCF, if you're Cincinnati, if you're Boise state, um, if you're Houston, if you're coastal Carolina, you have an easier path to the playoff now than all the schools you listed, Missouri, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi State, et cetera. The mm-hmm. smaller schools don't have to be better than Alabama or Oklahoma or Ohio State. All they have to do is be the best of the smaller schools, and they're in the playoff. So what's going to happen? All of those fan bases are going to grumble. They're going to say, we haven't been to the playoff while all these other smaller schools are. I think ultimately the result of this or the consequences is you're, I think you're going to see more turnover in those schools that you mentioned in the in the bottle, bottom to middle tier of the power leagues 
you're going to see a lot of coaching turnover because those fan bases are going to be furious that they've never got to the playoff. And they'll look around. The top of their league went. They've got all these small schools from all over the country going, yet we can never get there. So, yeah, you, you nailed it. That's something to keep your eye on. And, you know, look, it, like you're right. They'll have a lot of money, but is that, is that going to satisfy the fan bases um, when, when they're routinely uh, it's sub-500? Brett McMurphy joins us. I don't think it will. They call my show, and they're either aggravated or they don't call anymore because they don't care. Uh, we're talking a lot of football, but should I be concentrating also a little bit more on basketball? I think the headline is football, 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 but Texas and Oklahoma and these schools have really good basketball programs too. Does that have a little bit to do with it, or in your reporting it's all football? Uh, 0.0% about basketball. This is this – is, Two things are driving this, money and ego. Mm -hmm. And basically, Oklahoma and Texas are huge brands. They're bell cows. They bring a lot of TV eyeballs, a lot of revenue, and that increases the amount of money per school that the SEC will get compared with a 14-team model. So that's why they did it. Look, Oklahoma and Texas could have been combined winless in basketball last year. It wouldn't have changed anything. They're taking them because of – the potential and the amount of additional revenue they will bring to the league. I know a lot of people like to bring up, well, the basketball, when they're saying, well, our conference is attractive to another conference. Our basketball is good. Our academics is good. You know, go down the laundry list. None of that matters. It matters on what kind of value you bring to the league as a TV member and what that will generate as far as if you get in or not. Wrapping it up with Brett McMurphy. So what's your gut say, all the great reporting you've done over the years on Ohio State, what you're hearing from Michigan, Ohio State, the Pac-12, who are the next dance partners that need to hook up to become something similar or at least right behind the SEC? Well, certainly the schools in the Big Ten are fine. They, they, their media rights deal, um, which they'll get a new one in the next next couple of years, um, is comparable with the SEC. So they're fine. Um, the question that the key, or the thing to keep your eye on, JT, is does the Big Ten decide to go from 14 to 16? Does the ACC, they're basically at 14 and a half with Notre Dame, a mm-hmm. kind of member. Do they, do they get another additional member? West Virginia would make the most sense. Does the Pac-12, you know, they're hampered by geography, but do they try to go east and maybe get some of the Texas schools that are remaining or maybe Oklahoma State um, to get up to 16 schools? That is the unknown. There's not a right or wrong answer. They've got to figure out if they can make more money by adding these big 12 schools that are left over. And if they don't make more money, they still have a decision to make. Do they feel there's more strength than numbers? Do they feel like, like I mentioned earlier, every everybody's going to be at 16, so we need to get to 16 uh, sooner rather than later? That's kind of what to keep your eye on. And depending on what those leagues do, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, whether they expand or not, will determine the fate of the Big 12. If they determine, if they decide to expand, then the Big 12 implodes. We go from 10 football conferences to nine. If they decide, look, the SEC's at 16, we're fine at 14 or 12 or whatever our numbers are, um, then the, the Big 12 will survive. They'll have eight remaining members, and then they have to decide if they try to go after some of these group of five schools like Cincinnati, Boise State, UCF, et cetera. Last question, they always pass the cost onto the consumer. So I live in Vegas. We got a brand new football stadium, new hockey team. The prices are insane. 
insane. <laughs> and I look at the deals now on cable bills and packages and rights fees and all this. The typical college football fan in the SEC going forward, how, why should they hold on to their wallet? Is it going to hit them with their cable bill, gate receipts, parking, concessions? Because if I'm following the money the way you're telling me to, Brad, what's going to happen to the fans? Where are they going to get gouged? What should they be concerned about? Uh, how about all of the above? Right. I mean, yeah. uh, it, when, you were, when you were rattling off, the, uh, off all those examples, I was thinking to myself, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. So, yes. Um, but you know what they say in SEC country? It just means more. Well, you know what they're going to start saying? It just costs more. But you know what? They'd rather be the number one conference and have national champions and pay a little bit more because that's what it means. It literally, that's what it means to that part of the country, the passion. And I mean, you know what it's like. Other teams that are like, well, you know, if, if they had these teams, it's, it's going to be tougher for us and all that. You know, I guess the question is, would you rather succeed in a smaller league where your school makes 20 or $30 million less money, or would you rather try to compete in a league that's the best in the country and you're going to make $30 million more and you can hopefully, you know, get better resources, hire better coaches, et cetera, and, and try to compete against these guys. You know, I'm sure they're complaining, but it's better than the alternative, I would think. But you nailed it. It's, it's all of the above. Great talking to you. I really appreciate this. We wanted to talk to you because we knew you were reporting would be the best on all this. Look forward to talking to you again. Have a great rest of the summer. Anytime. Thanks, JT. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Brett McMurphy. How good was that? One of the best in the business. And I think the next leg of this story is going to be, what did ESPN do behind the scenes to make this happen? Is ESPN liable for having these contracts and then going behind the contracts to try to make more money and split these conferences? That's a good topic for Sam and Ash at some point down the road. What's going on here? Seems a little awkward. ESPN wants to move these conferences around so much. Tom Flores opens the second period of play by passing to Ken Herrick for 13 yards as the Raider drive carries into the Bronco Corral. Flores is fighting the airways to his liking. Five-year pro veteran makes a 13-yard connection with Art Powell. Flores uncorks his ninth scoring toss of the season as he spears Clem Daniels with a 34-yard touchdown bomb. The Raiders get on the scoreboard first for a 7-0 lead. Here's JT the Brick with more Countdown to Canton. That's incredible, Bobby. I don't know where you got that. Tom Flores touchdowns as a quarterback. Who has that? Oh, that was so good. JT, back with you. Johnny Katsalamidis joins us. Johnny Katz, the Daily Commonist at the Review Journal. The man who knows all here in Vegas. And Johnny Katz, oh no, another mask mandate. No. What are your sources telling you up and down the strip and how we're going to react here in Vegas? Well, um, yeah, it's good to be with you again, J- uh, JT. I think uh, what we're hearing is if if this if the trajectory of these numbers doesn't uh, change, we're going to masking is just going to be the start. Um, they're really concerned that we might be um, heading uh, back into um, you know distancing and and some sort of targeted shutdown if we can't get ahead of these numbers and that, those are from people uh, you know people like bill hornbuckle at mgm resorts international is saying that very thing to his employees you know that if, if we can't change 
the numbers and get out ahead of this thing again, uh, we're, we're going to face really serious challenges. So that's where we are right now. You know. That's, yeah. Well, you talk to it. us. You yeah. talk to us about this throughout COVID, all the time with me and Steph. And we, we I saw this coming a mile away with all the tourists that are coming here. Are you hearing it's more of an issue of Las Vegans not being vaccinated at the number they should be, or the fact that we just have so many people coming to this town unvaccinated, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, well, you know, we need to get, you know, all health experts and everybody from the top on down, whether it's our elected officials and Governor, Governor Sislak or our, our resort officials, our hospitality executives, know that, that our uh, vaccination rate needs to be better period. But also, you know, if you think that, you know, whatever, if it's 50% of the um, adult population in the United States is, is vaccinated and you walk the Las Vegas Strip with thousands of tourists and nobody's wearing masks, you know, figure it out. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I think, I, I personally feel that our problem is twofold. It is the vaccinations mm-hmm. uh, and, and, the, and the absence of, of widespread vaccination. And also that, you know, we're just getting thousands of visitors we talk about demand in the city thousands of visitors every week and weekend who are coming in and populating our uh, hotel casinos mm-hmm. and i think that's you know that's a recipe for for higher uh, uh, transmission rate and the surges that we're seeing so we have to go back and uh, you know at the very least if you're going to be in a in a indoor place wear a mask you want to go see a show in las vegas this weekend take your mask with you because it's going to happen at midnight uh yeah. tonight you know 1201 a.m so Johnny Katz joins us. It's such a shame because this could have, I'm not saying could have completely been changed, but everybody had so many warnings. The amount of people that listen to my show who have told me and tweeted me and texted me and saying that, oh my God, they could barely survive at 50% capacity, 25% capacity. Mm -hmm. We all went through this in this town and then we got the news 100% at Allegiant. The world's going to be great again. And I'm saying to myself, we haven't even gotten to the 4th of July yet. We haven't got to Labor Day yet. You see the traffic coming and going, leaving the city from your source within MGM and on the Strip Corridor, are we getting to the point where there is going to be a wallet vaccine where if you don't have it, you're not getting into these events because that's the way they might be going with the federal government and other cities before Vegas, where if you can't show proof of vaccine, you're just not getting in. I feel that that will be the step before we go into the type of phased lock, you know, shutdown that we had before. I think that will be. I, I feel it will be investigated. I think mm-hmm. that um, having to show a vax card to be in a in a, uh, a venue will be. And I've already had it happen. You know, it's a small scale thing, but I was at a show over the la- weekend before last uh, in downtown Las Vegas at Majestic Theater, where you had to show a vax card to be seated in the room. That was only a, you know a hundred people or so. But, you know, and it's like the Springsteen show on Broadway, you know, that um, requires people to be uh, to be vaccinated to get in the room. I'm I'm feeling that that will at least be reviewed before we go back to, you know, uh, you know, 50 percent or, you know, 70 percent or, or for you know having performers have to somehow wear masks mandatorily on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's going to be a, a way to to try and keep the crowds in these venues at 100 percent. And also safe, and that that means checking them at the door. Then you do it. Yeah. We take people's cell phones. We cut. We pouch those. You know. That I don't think that's much of an imposition. You know. So, so Johnny Katz, I think like Bruno Mars show, for example. You right. know, I think you could do that. I think this makes sense. And instead of going to fifty percent and having the economy thrown upside down here, I think the first step is to say after the mass mandate. 
where is your vaccination? Because then you could stay at 100% in Vegas and everything mm-hmm. still be sold out with people from all over the world coming in vaccinated. I mean, that would be a reasonable option before saying, hey, we're going back to 25 or 50% and crushing this economy again. I, given the choice, what do you think these operators will do yeah. given that choice? You know, I, I really feel that. And, and it's, uh, I don't know. I don't, I, my, my feeling is I've been at these, you know, pop-up vaccination events and trying to get people to, you know, to play along that way and encourage them and make it mm-hmm. convenient. But I think that the next step is if you're, employ- if you're an employer, you, you now have the option of, of you know, uh, enforcing vaccinations to your employees, right. like Cirque du Soleil has done, our biggest production company is doing wow. that very thing now. You can see more of that. And also, um, and I think that the message is, you know, you're not trying to t- take anybody's individual freedoms away. Uh, you're not going to get arrested for not being vaccinated. But if you want to come to our show, you're going to have to show that you are that you are vaccinated. So you're free to go spend your time somewhere else but not in this theater, not in this showroom, not in this stadium. And uh, that we might be heading in that direction. Yeah. I, we'll see what happens if we can, you know, I don't know if the masking is going to, it's going to head this off enough to where we can return to hundred percent capacity and no masking. But I, I think everything is on the table right now. Mm-hmm. Johnny Katz is our guest from the review journal. Really see, sad to see the passing of Dusty Hill, who you knew, cause you know, Billy Gibbons, ZZ top and, Billy's in town a lot. I wanted to ask why. Does he have a place out there? You're always tweeting out pictures of the legendary Billy Gibbons, and I'm assuming Dusty Hill was in Vegas a lot, not only with ZZ Top, but socially. Big loss. Well, you know, Billy lives here. He has a home yeah. here. He just moved here right before, and uh, I think it was the August before the shutdown. Uh, uh, him and Gilligan, his wife, moved to Las Vegas. So he's a Las Vegas guy and had spent a lot of time here anyway. Dusty Hill was not known to be <laughs> real uh, extroverted, mm-hmm. especially during the pandemic. When they got when they met, they would meet uh, in Houston and they would meet um, and, and record. Uh, I think that they were recording in Nashville, uh, uh, ZZ Top. There is a ZZ Top album out there. I think it's about finished mm-hmm. that, that they've been talking about. Dusty, um, well, Billy has a, uh, his own band and he has a uh, a, uh, a solo album called hardware that just came out in june he's a busy musician and uh he's going to continue to be a busy musician uh the zz top as we know it uh of course is is no longer and they had five dates at the uh, venetian that they've got to right. deal with now yeah they were in october and i think they all sold out um so billy's here billy's a las vegan and billy's going to continue to make music and, uh, you know, Dusty was, uh, <laughs> one thing about Dusty, he sang Viva Las Vegas when they needed to right. record that song. They got him to sing it and uh, he was happy to do so. And that was a big highlight in their shows, obviously in Las Vegas. So, you know, they, those guys, the three of them were together since 1970. ZZ Top. What a band. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. Johnny, oh, yeah. Oh, phenomenal. I love ZZ Top. Mm-hmm. Johnny Katz Same. is our guest. So I saw the... The show 27 over at Virgin for the second time. The J.O.D. hooked me up. We brought in a couple of couples, and I went into that show again, and Robert Johnson, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, and my wife was looking around. She goes, I cannot believe how much fun we're having. What a great time. Then I came out of the showroom. Virgin was popping. We went to the Shag Bar. Uh, Olives is opening there. You know, you can always find me at the bar with J.O.D. at one. And just good to see the energy at Virgin Hotels as the theater is getting going. Gary Clark and some of these concerts coming up. I'm really excited. That 27 shows right up my alley, Johnny Katz. Yeah, I think a lot of people, uh, it's, it's, um, 
You know, the great thing about 27 is, first of all, it's musically great. You know, they have a great concept, but they also have great musicians. Great band. By, uh, Eric Himmel, you know, the guitarist is the MD, and he's a, he's a great uh, session player and a musician out of Los Angeles. Um, and his band is serious. They're really good musically, and it's all live off the stage. So you know you're going to get it. You know you, you know you're going to get music that's familiar, but you're also going to get it played really well. And the and the uh, people who inhabit those characters you mentioned, uh, those icons are are great. It's a very underrated show, I think. Uh, once you know, I've ta- I've seen I've been to it. I think four or five times. I've seen mm-hmm. some of my musician friends in there, and they're like nodding along with it. And they're like, okay, I get it when they get in there. So I think word of mouth of that with that show is going to carry it. Um, and, and and the the marketing, they're very good yeah. uh, adept marketers. They're going to do a thing where they're going to. Eric was telling me they're going to fly a plane across Las Vegas and have the twenty seven banner behind it. You know, old, really old school marketing. <laughs> so when the weather gets, when you can fly a plane at less than a hundred degrees, I think it is, you can you can look in the air and find awesome. that. So I'm a backer of it. You know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for live music. Anyway. We love it. And, and, yeah, I love it, too. I've taken my family to it. Johnny Katz, as we wrap it up. So I bought Rolling Stone pit tickets. So three nights a week, I'm going to be working construction on the 215 from midnight to 6 a.m. to pay for my two Rolling Stones <laughs> tickets. My, I, I look, you know, my wife and I met at the Stones at the Hard Rock and big yep. part of our life. And I, I, I got the two pit tickets and I'm sitting there looking at it and the bill came across and I knew what it would cost. But I've been looking at it. So I'm going to get, a, uh, you know, how many jobs? I have. I got to get another one to pay for that on November six. Wow! Oh, I have a couple thoughts there. It costs as much as a vehicle. Yeah, it does. It's like buying a car, <laughs> a no doubt. Car. Yeah, and and if you're doing road work, please uh, <laughs> schedule some time in downtown Las Vegas because I, I I feel like I'm trapped in my own neighborhood with all the road work going on. What is wrong with that? How come? I know I know a lot of the money passed through so they could do the construction downtown there uh, as you're coming into the downtown corridor. How bad is this construction project, and how long is it going to last? You know, I don't know how long it's going to be, but it's extensive and it's oh. everywhere. And you folks, if you're coming down to, to Fremont East, Fremont Street, Arts District, anywhere in, in – I live downtown – anywhere in this area, plan – accordingly because it took me i'm not kidding 40 minutes 4-0 to get from bagel mania back to the arts district yesterday after lunch Ooh. because of all the road work and that's a, usually a 10 minute drive i mean it was just rerouting and detours and snarls and four lights to get through an intersection and yeah i i, uh, I can just tell you to plan for it Hey, finally, tell everybody what to do this weekend. You know, I'm talking about people coming into town. If they're vaccinated, for our vaccinated listeners who are listening on Raider Nation Radio all over the West Coast, East Coast, what are you excited about here as we're wrapping up July? Maybe a show, maybe something everybody should see if they're in town this weekend. You know, um, I, well, you mentioned 27. I'd, I'd hit that. I, you can hit Mars or uh, Usher still. There's still some single tickets out there. There's a, Usher has a pre Oh, did we lose him? Oh, get him up quick. He was talking about the Usher pre. I want to hear that on the way out. Uh, Johnny had something to say. His phone line just cut out. So we'll get him up here real quickly before we wrap up the show. Yeah, uh, I don't go to downtown much, but when I do, I'm always going to Barry's. Love Barry's Steakhouse at Circa. And I love that. And if you're going down there, yeah, Bobby said his. Uh, we're out of time. So we'll get him up here next time. We appreciate him coming on. He mentioned Usher and Bruno Mars. Two great shows to hear in town. 702-365-9200. We wrap up the week. Coming up next, getting the Grimaldi's pizza for the boys. Bobby, I'm officially an empty nester. 
in two and a half weeks. So the Grimaldi's gift cards will be safe. I'll have more to give out because my sons won't hijack them from me and go and go to Grimaldi's and eat them all. Hey, coming up next, we have sound from Cole Beasley of the Buffalo Bills. You won't believe this guy and what he said today. You don't want to miss it. Stick around. Brought to you by Grimaldi's. First of all, we were a pretty tight family. Uh, and I say family because uh, that's what we were like. The, the old the old core, uh, the, the Raider Nation is a family, a very powerful family because we, uh, we believe in each other and, and uh, we, like the, uh, we like to be the underdogs. We like the, the uh, honoredness look that we have. It looks like Halloween every, every Sunday afternoon when we play in, in Oakland. Uh, we like that. That was uh, that was our our. It kind of little by little became our our way of life, and little by little, uh, wherever we went in this country, there they were. The Raider Nation was there. Induction Day is coming soon. Here's JT the Brick. Is there anybody more beloved right now, right now in the Raider Nation than Tom Flores? Think about that for a second. Let that sink in. History of the Raiders. You know, you have the icon Al Davis, the Maverick. You look at all the greatest players who ever played. Everything that's happened. Now you think of Tom Flores in his 80s finally getting a gold jacket a week from this Sunday. So that's a DVR moment for you, right? You know that. He's not going in on Saturday. He goes in on Sunday. Uh, He speaks number two. Woodson goes last at number seven. In between them is Peyton Manning. This is a big deal. But the class on Saturday, the class on Sunday, and the Hall of Fame, and Tom Flores' induction. So we will go heavy, heavy on that next week, along with the first padded practices. We'll be out at in Henderson uh, hosting some radio shows out there and talking about that. So we have a lot going on next week. It's a very important week. And then after that, we gear up. I was in a meeting today over at the facility on what's going to happen for that first preseason game which is the first ever game in front of fans Raiders are going big and we'll be starting the pre and post game show that day with Eric Allen and myself behind the mic we'll tell you about where we'll be going forward for the pregame show which really was the coolest thing in my years of doing this that I can't wait for to see the location where we'll be hosting the pregame show inside the stadium now for those who are going to tailgate brilliant Okay, I hope your tent holds up. I hope you have shade, and you will, because no one tailgates like the Raiders. But once you get inside the building, and especially if you haven't been in there yet, you're going to be blown away, and part of what we're going to be doing is the pregame show, what you're going to hear from the music, what they're working on is spectacular. This isn't SoFi Stadium where you're going into a generic Walmart. It's a beautiful stadium, but it's more like a Walmart. Okay, you go in there, and then, you know, on... One week, you have the Rams, so they change the colors out. Then you have the Chargers, and you have the powder blue on the boards. No, this is the Raiders. It's silver and black. It's artwork. It's the Champions Club. It's all that. And, yeah, 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 I think it's better than SoFi. It's not as expensive. It's not as big. And SoFi's in Inglewood. Inglewood, compared to the Vegas Strip, I'll take the Vegas Strip over Inglewood any day of the week. Thanks to Bobby, who put the show together all week. Thanks to everybody here at Lotus, everybody at the Raiders, who were kind enough to accommodate us and give us that great studio. 
and to be out at practice the last couple of days. Q's coming up. Vinny's coming up. Uh, Vinny is grinding out there with content. I'm sure he's going to have some really good information. Coming up, my final show of the week is tonight on Sirius XM 82. I'm on every night, 7 to 10 Pacific, Brick at Night, on Mad Dog Sports Radio, at JT the Brick on Twitter and on Facebook. We greatly appreciate you listening and streaming the show. Without you, we have no show. Without our great partners here on the radio that keep us on the air, we have no show. I can never thank you enough, so I try to thank you as much as I can. Have a great week, everybody. Have a good day, you guys.